0: This is the IBJ Podcast for the week of May 2nd, 2022, brought to you by Taft. I'm your host, Mason King. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Our story begins in 1902 with the opening of West Baden Springs Hotel in southern Indiana, a structure so immense and architecturally dramatic that it was nicknamed the Eighth Wonder of the World. After passing through its lavish and cleverly designed grounds, visitors would enter the 700-room hotel and discover its most dramatic feature, a free-spanning dome that was 135 feet high and 208 feet in diameter. Another major draw, the natural mineral springs nearby, which were believed to have medicinal properties. And so the hotel became a popular draw for America's growing upper class with politicians, industrialists, gangsters, and movie stars all making cross-country jaunts to the hotel to rub elbows in that atrium. So it's fitting that the hotel has become a movie star in its own right just 120-some years after its public debut. It's the prominently featured setting of the new movie So Cold the River Filmed entirely on location, it's based on the novel of the same name by best-selling author Michael Corita, a Bloomington native. He was inspired to write the supernatural thriller featuring the hotel after it received a near-miraculous top-to-bottom renovation from Indiana preservationist Bill Cook and his wife Gail. Cook amassed a huge fortune as founder of Bloomington-based Cook Group, which manufactures medical devices, Bill & Gale spent more than $500 million renovating the hotel and its sibling property, the French Lick Springs Hotel. And today, they are known collectively as the French Lick Resort. I will happily wager that anyone who enters that atrium immediately thinks, Wow, somebody should make a movie here. And that is the subject of today's podcast. Although, there's a bigger story here. Corita pitched the movie idea to Pete Youngman, president of Cook Group, Youngman thought it would be a natural fit for Pegasus Pictures, a Bloomington-based movie studio that is dedicated to making films in Indiana with as much Indiana-based talent as possible. Youngman and Cook Group CEO Carl Cook personally invested in the movie, which had a very modest budget, less than $2 million. But the team was able to save a ton of money because Cook Group owns the resort and supplied critical support to facilitate production of the movie. And as we'll discuss, The state could be on the brink of a renaissance in its filmmaking and media production industry with the institution this summer of significant tax credits for Indiana-based productions. It might not be a stretch to suggest that we'll be seeing a lot more movie stars in Indiana in the not-too-distant future. So my guests are Pete Youngman of Cook Group and Zach Spicer, CEO of Pegasus Pictures. Here's our conversation. It's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast Zach Spicer founder and CEO of Bloomington-based Pegasus Pictures. Did I get that right, Pegasus?
1: That's Pegasus, pigs with wings. Thanks for making time, Zach. Absolutely, my pleasure.
0: And I'd like to welcome back to the podcast, Pete Yonkman, president of Bloomington-based Cook Group Inc. Pete, it is great to talk to you again. Yeah, nice to be back. Uh, Now, this is gonna be a little bit inside baseball, but uh, before we get going, I feel like I need to address this. This is the 200th episode of the IBJ podcast. This is the third time Pete Yonkman has been a guest on the podcast for anybody that's paying attention. Yes, that does tie a record for somebody who is not a regular contributor like Pete the Planner uh, to IPJ. But here's what is really interesting. While Cook Group certainly is one of Indiana's most significant corporations, each of Pete's appearances has been to discuss an extraordinary project that you would not normally or necessarily consider within the scope of a privately held manufacturer of medical devices. We have talked about Cook creating a manufacturing plant on the East side of Indianapolis, specifically to create jobs for nearby residents and support them with a wraparound services. We've discussed Cook's role in creating and managing the organization Hoosiers for Good, which helps connect Indiana University athletes with not for profits that they can then represent and promote. Now Cook Group is in the movie production business, Pete, can you just briefly, before we get going here, speak to the corporate philosophy behind this? I mean, a, a lot of companies uh, do a great job of helping support their communities, but you know, this is not the same thing as writing a check to the United Way. Cook is, is involved in so many projects that frankly take a lot of time, a lot of planning, a lot of man hours, and a lot of creativity. Why is it that, that Cook distinguishes itself that way?
2: Great question. And I think the answer is kind of simple. It sounds like it's you know, sort of there's a grand plan. I don't think, you know, if you look at what you mentioned, uh, movies, grocery stores, uh, other projects, not in some grand design, what it really is is we really believe that we have all these great people that work for cook and we have these great resources and skills. And so if you can use those in a way that is right, good for business, but also good for the community, those things lead you in a lot of different places. You know, you find yourself in different areas, but if you have that core belief that your company can do more than just do business, but you can also use those opportunities in interesting ways. Uh, you find yourself in some some interesting meetings along the way.
0: And is it just that you are receptive to some of the more left field ideas that come at you, or do you brainstorm at night thinking, well, this would be cool?
2: It really is more about the partnerships and the people we meet, right? So if you look at, and you will know, you know, here's Zach's story, but this is one of those situations where sometimes the, the planets align and the universe says, hey, dummy, you need to do this. Pegasus Pictures is trying to do something very special in our hometown. They're trying to build a movie company in the middle of Indiana, right? Nobody's doing that. And they're trying to do it in a way that's community-minded, that gives back, creates job opportunities. We, you know, We have Michael Carita, who's the author of this great book that the movie is based on, lives in Bloomington, is passionate about the history of these hotels. And then Cook has the hotels and spent all this time working on it. It's almost like, how do you not do that movie, right? It just this is there in your lap. You got to do it.
0: So let me back up just a little bit. So the story begins with uh, the novel, so-called the river is written by a uh, Bloomington native and he still lives in Bloomington. Is that right? He Michael does. Yeah. Wow. Yep. New York times, bestselling author. The novel is inspired by West Baden Springs hotel, which is located in the French lick area. Um, I can attest really anybody can attest who's been in that building. The first thing that you say to yourself is, man, this would be a great place to film a movie. Uh, it is it, one of the most awesome historic structures probably in the country. Can you give us, Pete, just a quick history about the hotel and then its restoration by Bill and Gail Cook, the founders of Cook Group? So
2: I don't know that everybody knows this, but Bill and Gail were some are, are tremendous historians. Aside from all the other things they've done, they're these tremendous historians. And they were involved in historic preservation long, you know, back in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And they wrote a book called the, I'm not blanking the name of the book, but it was a guide to Southern Indiana. And each of there had published this book about all the really cool places in Southern Indiana. And they stumbled upon French and West Baden. And uh, at that time in the eighties, it was in truly in disrepair. The, the spires were falling down. It was crumbling. And these, if you've been there, these are historic structures that have to be saved. And so they got involved in the eighties, just starting to just build the foundation back, start to put some of the walls in place and it expanded through there over time. And, and again, it goes back to this philosophy of they realized if we're going to make these things successful, and the community is successful. It has to all go together. So they thought, wow, if we could restore this, not just to make it a museum, but an opportunity to provide 1,800 jobs for the community, what a cool thing that would be. So that's, again, it's just sort of that organic, follow your follow your nose and see where it takes you.
0: Now, Zach, my understanding is that the Michael Carita used the hotel as the inspiration for the book, So Cold the River. Can you, for the readers, uh, just give us a quick synopsis of the story and also explain what role the hotel plays?
1: Well, that's what's so unique about uh, about the film and the book itself. I mean, the hotel is the centerpiece of the entire story. Um, and it was something kind of cool that, uh, you know, what, what brought the hotel there and what starts the novel and what begins the film is all of the water. For those of you that have been down to French Lick and West Baden, you know, the area down there became famous because of the the unique spring water that flows under everything down there. And so that is uh, the water is what brings our lead character um, in the film, Erica Shaw. The water comes to her up in Chicago through another character, and uh, she makes the decision to follow this water back down to French Lake West Baden and uh, uncover the story of what the water holds down there there at the hotels. And so it's an interesting blend of uh, some of the true things that happens in the creation of the hotels and everything there. And what Michael does is he imbues the story with as much local character and rich history um, that really gives the entire story a solid sense of place. And that was what was so important to the novel and to the film. And then be able to bring like these these psychological thriller, horror elements to it throughout that carry the story. For Just to cover bases, for those of uh, the listeners that are huge fans of the novel, as are we, the movie is very different (laughs) from the novel. Um, The novel is about 500 pages long. And, uh, and in order to do uh, a play-by-play recreation of what uh, Michael so perfectly put down in the novel, we would need about three years of filming, you know, like a miniseries that takes place down there. But Paul Schoberg, the writer-director who lives in Nashville, Indiana, another IU grad, took Michael's novel... And was able to condense down like the, the specific themes that, that come across, which uh, is specifically like, where do you find yourself on the other side of ambition? Uh, we're all led by ambition in one way or another. And what uh, decisions are made that ticks that level of ambition just one or two steps past what is healthy decision-making and i think i think he just did a an excellent job of of bringing that out in the film itself
2: so i think one of the things i think is really interesting you mentioned zach is that this is an important movie as a movie but it's important for the history of the town and the people these hotels have been around for 120 years now they've been through wars they've been through depressions they've been through pandemics twice and they've been through good times and bad times, it's really the people of the community that have kept these things alive. And I think that kind of comes out in the movie and the book. So that's another part of it that I found really intriguing was it sort of is a, as a testament and pays homage to the work that these folks have done for more than 120 years now.
0: So there was an actual conversation between you, Pete, and Michael Carido where he pitched that to you. Is that right?
2: <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I, I was sitting in a leather chair somewhere. morning. No, I've known Michael for a long time. And I've known his, this book was there. I remember the first time I met Michael was actually to launch Bill Cook and Michael Carita because Bill wanted to meet him. Cause he wrote, written this tremendous book about the hotels and Bill wanted to meet him. And, and there was a time when Bill actually tried to obtain the movie rights uh, to this picture years ago. And it was already taken up as Zach's movie, movie studio. had it and was trying to do some else with it. So those movie rights came back available. And that's why I said, stars sometime just align. i have gotten to know Zach and, the team there and it was just it just felt like the right thing to do and, and i also trusted the folks involved right i trusted zach and his team and, and michael and paul they also understood that this is not just a movie this is about something more uh it's about the people in the place and uh as zach said i think I think when you watch it you get the sense of it's not just a horror movie it's it's talking about something bigger
0: now zach speaking of ambition give us a little bit of backstory on pegasus pictures
1: So we started uh, Pegasus six years ago, Um, came back to Bloomington, made our very first feature, The Good Catholic, Um, and uh, Danny Glover and John C. McGinley, it went off, uh, won a bunch of film festivals, and we ended up uh, selling it at the time to Netflix and then uh, sold it to Amazon Prime. I think it's on Amazon Prime now. Seeing the community come rally around that film, because again, this was another example of we were telling a story, and we were the first ones for a really long time of attempting to uh, make a movie there in Indiana. An entire community came up and supported that that ambition and that vision. And so community has been the bedrock of everything that we've done at Pegasus ever since. And we've been fortunate enough now, um, we've made six feature films in the state, um, four of which uh, have now gone on to... Uh, distribution and winning various festivals across the world and everything. Uh, Indiana just passed this legislation of, of being able to have a tax, a film tax incentive, which we're ecstatic about, because a lot of stories aren't being told from this area of the country. And I think one of the coolest things that we've been able to do is every single one of our films has gone into a different town all across Indiana, and we've been able to to shed light and and highlight some of these local stories and the local creatives that are all across the state, um, giving them opportunity to be engaged in the art form, so that they don't have to leave, you know, so they don't have to uh, go to New York or Los Angeles or Atlanta. Yeah, I
2: would add to what Zach zach so brought up another important point we talked about this ecosystem of creating film and i think it really is important that indiana passed this incentive and i and i hope it expands because it's not just about creating film it's about creating people who have an understanding of how to create content and how to develop content if you think about the future of business i don't care what business you're in there is a need for content there's an insatiable need for content these days and i think if indiana gets left behind in the content creation world we're going to have a problem, and as local businesses, we need content creators. We struggle to find people who can who can meet our needs, as from a marketing needs or content creation. We don't want to go out of state; we want to stay in state. And so, what's happening is those film opportunities are creating this ecosystem of people who learn how to do editing. They learn how to do lighting design. They knew how to do set design. Those are things we desperately need as an economy in our state. So, I'm really excited about where it's going. And the other thing is that Zach and those guys are doing it the right way. They're not. They're not just flying in a bunch of people making a movie and leaving. These are all Hoosiers who are making these really cool films.
0: Okay, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. This is the IBJ podcast. TAFT, today's modern law firm.
2: With more than 625 attorneys across 11 offices, we provide solutions to the business issues facing middle market and emerging companies alike. We do this through a highly collaborative and inclusive team approach. TAFT, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com.
0: All right, we're back with this week's edition of the IBJ podcast and our conversation with Zach Spicer and Pete Yankman about the new movie "So Cold the River." Now, if you look at uh, at the poster for this movie, or if there is an online poster, Pete Yankman and Cook Group CEO Carl Cook are among the executive producers. Uh, what does that mean, being an executive producer?
2: Oh, it means we told them how to do everything they, you know, we, we, we call all the shots. <laughs> no, uh, what, what that really means is we helped facilitate getting the connections made. We helped make sure the resources were there. Um, you know, I, it was also important to Carl. I, I know because of his family's history in that building, he wanted to make sure that the story was told in a way that was respectful of the, the people in the community. So it was really more facilitation than anything.
0: Right. Yeah. And Carl is the son of, of Bill and Gale. Bill Cook. Yeah. 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 Bill Cook. And, um, uh, is he's the CEO of Cook Group? Correct. Okay, I know we don't like to talk about money here in Indiana, but financially, how much of a how much support did Cook and or you and Carl provide for this movie?
2: Well, we were a very low budget film. I mean, when you look at this movie, I, one of the things I think is the group's most proud of is it feels like a real movie, and a lot of that is the credit to the hotels, right? You film in a place like that, it feels big, it feels expansive, and so they have that set. We could have never done on the budget that we did it for without having that hotel so yeah you know i don't know if you talk about the numbers exactly but it would me say it's a very low budget film in terms of what most films are okay how much was the budget <laughs> well i don't know exactly We you talk about that we've, we've talked about it before haven't
1: we not in public but you know it's uh, your you're you're ep so you yeah can <laughs> it was, let
2: me say it was it was less than what some of the houses are going for in Indianapolis these days let's say that
0: well, holy mackerel okay <laughs> Less than $2 million. Yeah. Okay. And is it at least fair to say that Cook Group had a significant contribution?
2: Yeah, uh, for financial. sure. I mean, it was so right. You're talking about we, we contributed to it for sure. Uh, we had individual investors as well. So okay. Cook Group, uh, one of the things that we did, one of the things that the hotels did, which is amazing is, you know, during the winter months, it can get slow uh, just because it's, you know, in the February, we shot in February of that of that year, right before the pandemic hit, finished right as everything was closing down. Uh, but it's kind of a slower time for the hotel. So they were able, they were nice enough to say, we're just going to shut this thing down for a period so that you can really film in this thing. And so you can imagine there's a lot of c- contribution that comes that way. But uh, it was really a family of affair. I mean, you know, you had the, the Pegasus team living down there. You had the actor living there. You had the hotel team living there. It was it was almost eerie because you walk in and this place is empty except for this amazing film being shot. So it was a very unique
1: experience in the history of those hotels. It was one of the most surreal experiences of my entire life
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay now why do you say that
1: well i mean uh, like you said um we are we are the lone occupants of the west baden hotel uh one of the most opulent uh and gorgeous places that you can imagine being that it has all circular hallways so every hallway looks exactly the same uh we're shooting at night entirely so we don't see the sun and if you've been down to the West Baden, they have a music track that has about 13 songs that play in order uh, over and over again. And uh, and pretty soon you feel like you are inside the psychological experiment rather than, <laughs> than telling a story of it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Um, now, my understanding, right, Cook Group technically owns the hotel. We own the hotel, yeah. That's, it's as if they were like nice enough to let you film there. I mean, I think.
2: Well, sure. I mean, sure, we could say, but it does. I mean, you can't.
0: So, like, yes, yeah, so we can say we're going to shoot this
2: hotel. We're going to close down. But it also requires a lot of people, right? And a lot of people changing their schedules and getting out of their normal routine. So, yeah, there were a lot of people there. And there were people who, had, and Zach will tell you, making a movie inside of a hotel is a very different thing than servicing clients by hotel. So they were having yep. to learn along the way too. And I, so I mean it and they like, they put their lives on hold and did this for us. So it was great.
1: Okay. The the movie could not have happened without the entire staff uh, down there at the hotels. Essentially, you know, we at Pegasus, we operate a bare bone skeleton crews, as, as little as we possibly can uh, to make sure that everything works efficiently. But essentially, we had tripled the size of our crew because of the number of people that were working down there for the hotels that were making the entire shoot and everything possible. I mean, these people were feeding us three meals a day. And again, I can't emphasize this enough. We, our day started at 6 p.m. and we finished at 6 a.m. So these people that are used to working like normal business hours, now the chefs and the waiters and everybody down there, now they're serving lunch at 2 a.m. And they did that for five weeks, you know, so they were living through everything that we were living through. And again, like it couldn't, it couldn't have happened without them otherwise.
0: Now, as we mentioned, a lot of states uh, try to encourage local filmmaking by giving tax breaks or other kinds of incentives to filmmakers. When you guys were making this movie, were there any incentives available from the state of Indiana?
1: No. At that point, we had been lobbying the state and we've been talking and working with the Indiana Economic Development Council um, for uh, different opportunities of how we could figure things out. But at that point, uh, there were not any of them in place. And, you know, that is a that is a huge driver of um, when you talk about the business side of filmmaking, these states that border Indiana, uh, if you can go to Illinois and film something in Illinois and have a 50 percent Illinois workforce and you can get a guaranteed return of 30 to upwards to 40 percent of your investment, no financier is is going to say, well, it's really important to film in Indiana. And that's what makes what uh, Pete and Cook Group, um, what they did so special is because they really, they saw the value of what this industry actually could be and the unique opportunity of being able to tell this very local story. But it, it, it takes... It takes visionaries like that to to see the landscape of the business before it actually lives there. So So Cold the River will will forever go down for me as we watch how the film tax incentive unfolds in Indiana. You know, it'll, it'll forever go down for me as like one of the gutsiest, riskiest things that you could do because this is, in comparison to our other films, our other films are very small, they're intimate, they're usually like four characters talking in a room, you know. But uh, what Pete and Carl did, they, they took a swing for um, something that could play in the same league as all of the other big films on Netflix and Amazon all of that and actually show what Indiana is capable of.
0: There's a, there's a bit of connective tissue here that I think I'm missing. So how did Pegasus get involved in
1: this? I mean, it first started hanging out with Pete. I mean, like I met Pete on the set of our second film is white light. Pete came and took a tour of the storage warehouse um, that we asked politely if we could film inside uh, the area that they weren't you know, putting couches and park loungers. And uh, we were filming in there, Pete came and, and toured the little studio that we had built up inside there. And then it really was like sitting down with Pete and Michael and just hearing about what, what they wanted to do um, with the novel. And if it was possible, like in our, you know, independent brain of, of resourcefulness, like could we actually realistically make this, this movie ourselves? And at that point, that was us uh, bringing on the writer-director of the previous films, uh, Paul Schoberg, of and using his unique abilities of like driving a story through emotion and character and uh, dialogue and the visual storytelling that he's capable of doing.
0: Now, earlier this year, Governor Holcomb signed into law, a revision of the state's tax incentives program. So there now is, or that will, I think uh, in July 1st, there's available a film and media production tax credit offering as much as I think 30% for qualifying expenses. Zach, can you give me a clear idea of, of how that works? How, how does that save for production money?
1: Well, I think uh, we're all excited to see how that's going to work. Uh, the <laughs> IEDC is in the process of laying out what the exact parameters of that will be. And, you know, my hope my hope for that is, is that there are uh, stipulations put in place that it needs to be a certain amount of Hoosier workers and uh, a Hoosier workforce. That is a part of each production. You see that in other examples of, of states in Illinois and Kentucky and Atlanta um, where it's successful. And what that's going to do is, like I said before, um, you know, that is a guaranteed return that you can give to your investors. Right off the bat, you're making a movie for a million dollars. You know, 300,000 plus is, is coming back. And that's a great uh, incentive to be able to put all of that money to use. But the other thing that it's going to do is it is going to create the opportunity and the drive for more filmmaking jobs to be had within the state itself. And this is a really big key factor is we have Ball State cranking out all of these students that uh, are, are working in the in uh, the film and TV industry and they're going to Chicago and Atlanta and New York and LA and then Indiana University just started their BFA program in filmmaking specifically and they have been uh, they opened up and I, I don't want to get the number one, but it was like 130 some incoming freshmen that immediately signed up for this major. The desire there for these jobs is great. And the opportunity that we are now faced with of continuing to be able to make things locally in Indiana by Indiana companies and hiring local Indiana talent, we're talking about a massive industry that is just in the beginning stages. And you can take a look at other cities of Atlanta and Albuquerque and Toronto and Vancouver and all of these other places that billions of dollars a year in infrastructure and, and uh, the surrounding businesses are built up.
0: How would you expect it to uh, affect your company?
1: Well, we're, I mean, we, we're already starting to see it is that um, we have created a history now of being able to make uh, high quality stuff at a really independent, uh, competitive level before the tax credit. And that's what we've been doing for the past six years. So for (laughs) for the past five or six years, it's been a lot of conversations about me trying to convince people to come to Indiana. And now the the phone continues to ring of projects that want to come to Indiana um, from the coasts uh, because they see the unique opportunity here. So it's a it's a it's a big switch, and we're in the midst of uh, designing the opportunity for growth within Pegasus that kind of takes us to the next level of working within the industry. We talked about it. We talked about it for a while. Of like, the beginning was was knocking on the door of the industry. The middle has been working with the industry, and then part three is becoming the industry um so that's what we have our site set on now
0: the movie was released in i think select theaters march 25th and uh, then became available on demand on march 29th we have a sense uh of, of how it is doing
1: well it was the number uh it wasn't number one but it was in the top 10 top selling films uh on apple tv for over a month um which was awesome we get quarterly reports so we won't know the final numbers of everything until uh month is it right now sometime in april (laughs) almost may yeah sometime in april yeah so uh in in q3 we'll start to get uh numbers coming in for it but it was also extended theatrically past its original window so we played we played in indianapolis and uh a couple of other key markets for uh, the better part of a month so
2: that's saying something because movies don't make it in films in theaters anymore you know theaters are unless you're marvel it's very hard to be in a theater so uh, yep. at least in our area we were excited about that i i think what's been really interesting just giving an anecdotal example of how this lives on the room in which the, the key one of the key rooms of the characters in in the hotel was designed in a very specific way the hotels have kept that room and people now are requesting that everybody wants to stay in that room right because <laughs> they've seen it it's kind of we actually had a guest check out in the middle of the night because they're like it's just too it's just too creepy so <laughs> uh you know it's that that's kind of fun right it's just the fun stuff like that that lives around something like a movie that doesn't
0: exist anywhere else it is, it is a distinctive room that already existed in the hotel
2: yeah but it was redesigned completely for the movie oh okay and so they've kept it looks exactly like it does in the movie now so you can rent that room as i said one person is like that's too much for me i'm, I'm out
0: <laughs> is it possible to rent that room and watch the movie like on your tv inside the room i
1: think that's they're crazy. working on that right now yeah i think they're working on uh, getting the getting the film available within the hotel structure itself but you can bring your laptop you can rent it you can rent (laughs) it on your laptop and play it in the film (laughs) that would be great well thank you guys so much for
0: your time i really appreciate it thanks i appreciate it my thanks again to zach spicer and pete youngman And folks, before you get on with the rest of your week, there are several stories in the latest print edition of IBJ I want to draw to your attention. First up, recent public comments by Eli Lilly and company CEO, Dave Ricks, examining the state's shortcomings as a potential destination for new companies and investment, have sparked conversation and debate across Indiana's business community. Reporters John Russell, Susan Orr, and Emily Ketterer Asked business leaders to address the question of whether the state is doing enough to keep Indiana growing and what an effective strategy might look like. Also, in this week's issue, Dave Lindquist dives into one of the most ambitious and revealing exhibits in the history of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum Roadsters to Records, the 12 years that revolutionized the Indianapolis 500. And our political team has a preview of the most consequential races on primary election day. Again, you can find these stories in the latest print edition of IBJ, or of course online at ibj.com. I will say it is quite a bit easier to access all of the latest local news about business and politics and all of IBJ's data on central Indiana's business, community, and economy if you're a subscriber. It works out to about $2 per week for actionable information. You're not gonna find anywhere else. Just go to IBJ.com and click on the subscribe button. Thanks again for making time this week for the IPJ podcast, which is edited by Leslie Weidenbenner. I'm Mason
1: King. Hang in there, everybody. We'll be back again next week.